0: Welcome back to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts discuss all things Brazilian politics. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we will talk about the ongoing saga that is the government's relationship with Congress, the performance of the government in this pre-Carnival period, and some points of external turbulence and their impact on Brazilian politics. Welcome back to Brazilian Politics. I am Michael Lopez. I'm here with Lucas Aragão and Thiago Aragão. How are you guys doing today?
1: Everything's well. How's everyone?
2: Thanks for having us, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, I'd like to start uh, today's podcast on a little more optimistic note, uh, as the optimist that I am. And uh, I'd like to talk about an interview from last week where the President of the Lower House, the Speaker of the Lower House, Rodrigo Maia, in an interview with Global News stated that in the last three months, the relationship with President Jair Bolsonaro has improved greatly. Um, I think it's noteworthy that this is coming from a a guy who was relentlessly attacked by the, the bolsonaristas, Bolsonaro supporters, as a representative of quote-unquote old politics. Um, So my question to you guys is what has changed and what can we expect of Rodrigo Maia's role
2: uh, this year in regards to government? Michael, uh, this is Lucas. I think that the first point is that this government has support in Congress when it comes to the economic agenda, not necessarily on all uh, of its its items and all of its priorities. If we look back uh, to last year, Bolsonaro had almost thirty percent of his vetoes reversed uh, by Congress. This is not normal. Uh, historically, this average is much lower. Uh, even if we look back, this is something that started to happen much more regularly under President Juma. This idea of of uh, over uh, of removing the vetoes of the president. As of twenty thirteen, the vetoes started to block the agenda, so it made it. Uh, almost obligatory to vote them. If we look from 2000 to 2012, there were almost 3,000 vetoes that weren't analyzed. Uh, So I think that this tension between executive and legislative will continue, especially on items that the Congress do not see as priority. Uh, For instance, there's a provisional measure right now that the president sent uh, to make a more democratic uh, student ID card, which today is in the hands of a union, which is uh, more, much more left-leaning than the government and, and, and they wanted to take the power and the, and the money from the hands of this union. It's going to lose validity probably in Congress. So you, you see that there's several items in the government's agenda, uh, the water treatment provisional measure last year, several items that uh, have lost validity or weren't given priority in Congress. So I think the support is mainly under the economic agenda uh, because Rodrigo Maia and the Centrão support the, the reformist agenda of Guedes. But I wouldn't say that this is a support that goes all over the agenda of the president. Uh,
0: thank you for that, Lucas. And I, I think it's important that you mentioned the Centrão. Uh, my next question is specifically about the Centrão. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about what you see as the role of, of the political center in Brazil, Um, especially given that there are municipal elections this year, and also given the fact that Rodrigo Maia, in the same interview I mentioned before, he discussed uh, the unification of the Brazilian center. And as a final corollary to that question, is it even possible for us to speak of a unification in such a polarized political environment?
1: Michael, uh, hello, everyone. Well, uh, I don't think so. I think that the unification in Brazil, even of the polarized ends of the ideological uh, line, for example, they are more based on interests than on principles. And the closer we get to the center, the less they're based on principles, uh, because basically there are very few general principles that unifies the center, but more based on interests. And because of that, it creates the the it increases the difficulty for the government, any government, to understand how the centrist parties actually work. So when you break down the diversity within the centrist parties, the government has to take in consideration the, key, the, the ranking of the key interests by party, by region, and how they want to be part of the decision-making process. This makes it harder for a government that does not have the experience to deal with it. And in a current environment in which the government has uh, a big allied base, but it's not a complete allied base that would grant them enough votes without the centrist parties, they have to understand this fast, and they will have to identify... Uh, the key trade-offs in order to bring them to their side. These trade-offs, they could be uh, more participation in the decision-making process. They can be a bigger participation of President Bolsonaro uh, during the municipal elections in benefit of a party or another. But most of all, it's the dialogue. It's a dialogue that involves directly the president, and it's a clear list of priorities from the two sides in order to see how they can overlap.
0: Thank you for that, Thiago. It's it's very clear that it's, it's not a simple system and I think it's proof positive of... I think uh, it was Richard Dawkins who said uh, back in 2016 or, or 2017 that one of the most difficult professions in the world has to be that of a political analyst. Uh, in Brazil, and I think the the scenario that, that you're describing accurately depicts that and uh, proves uh, his statement. Um, I'd like to very quickly here return to our beloved rapid fire segment. Um, I'd like to throw out some issues, some proposals that are on the table, and hear from you about what the future holds for each of this each of these uh, topics. All right. Uh, Start it off. Tax reform.
2: Uh, I think tax reform will be more of a simplification rather than a massive overhaul of the tax code in Brazil. The Congress has taken the protagonism of the of the discussion. There's two discussions currently in Congress, one in the House, one in the Senate. The government has withdrawn from the discussion, at least formally. They will not send a proposal. They will obviously participate in the discussions. Uh, there's a special committee that will be formed with 20 congressmen from the House and 20 senators to come up with a consensus between the two proposals of each chamber. Uh, President of the House, Rodrigo Maia, has been very confident that this can be approved in the first semester. However, he did say that the special committee would be formed in the recess, which did not happen. It's a very complicated uh, uh, item, but I think that it will be only finalized in 2021 with more of a simplification than an overhaul.
0: Thank you. Administrative reform.
1: Well, the administrative reform is a is a desire of Paulo Gage since uh, the beginning of last year when he has spoken about it. But basically, the strategy around it has been uh, damaged by the latest uh, mentions towards the civil servants made by the Minister of Economy. Uh, however, this is not the key thing. It is expected that Uh, the civil servants would unite against any change that could be perceived as negative for them. So this is something tough. This is something that uh, we have to wait to see how it goes. But right now, we have indications that the government might take away their current proposal of the administrative reform and perhaps create a new one uh, in a more fluid dialogue with the Congress to see whether this could go forward or not.
0: Next up, the Mais Brasil agenda, the More Brazil agenda, which includes Paulo Guedes' proposed uh, constitutional reforms.
2: Well, I think that the emergency uh, plan, which creates triggers to avoid uh, a shutdown, as it is in the U.S., is probably the one that the market is most interested in, a lot of our viewers from the markets. And I think it's something that could advance with uh, more of a... um, uh, uh, more quickly however it does remove some power of congress because if it doesn't get approved the, the government has always has to always search the congress to get supplementary credit extraordinary credit so it's a way to you know do a little bit of horse trading pork barreling uh i think it could advance this year but again the this is a short year I don't think there's enough time to approve a lot of the, of the constitutional amendments. The funds represent almost $200 billion. Um, But overall, I think this is a year of garnering, get, getting energy for the consensus of the approvals and then final approvals only for 2021.
0: Thanks for that. Next up, uh, autonomy of the central bank.
1: Well, the autonomy of the central bank uh, was expected already for the first semester of this year. It's something also that has been intensely debated over uh, last year and the years before that. Uh, This is something that is perceived with positive eyes by the Speaker of the House. So even if it's not, uh, if it doesn't move forward because of calendar uh, in this first semester or even throughout the year, it's something that once the time allows, uh, it's likely to go forward. The
0: Brazilian embassy in Washington,
2: D.C., Okay, so this one, I'll definitely be very rapid in my rapid. (laughs) It will be approved next week. Taxation.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Taxation of profits and dividends.
1: Well, the taxation of profit and dividends is something that uh, it's moving forward. It's something that today we had some advances in relation to it. Uh, Today, we had, uh, it's a recurring issue inside the Congress and now it's back to the agenda as part of a proposal to increase social benefits. Uh, it is labeled as the provisional measure 898. And uh, it's a very detailed program, but also aims at compensating for the increased expense uh, within the current proposal by uh, led by Randolph, the Senator Randolph-Rodriguez. So we have to see how the government will face the issue Uh, during the vote. It is a matter, uh, if this matter is approved by the committee with the current text, the chances of its reversion on the floor of the lower house and the Senate increase considerably because of the lack of alignment between Senator Randolph Rodriguez and the government. If it is not successful, the present veto is the last resort for the government to be able to adjust this further down the line uh, according to their own views since the current initiative is not aligned with the government.
0: Uh, Thank you, Thiago. And just for our listeners, we are recording this on Tuesday, February 11th, uh, just because you mentioned uh, today. Um, Next up, Bolsonaro's political party, the Alliance for Brazil.
2: Okay, another answer that will uh, be according to the segment Rapid Fire. I think Aliança will not come out as a party this year, I think the, um, the regulatory uh, obstacles are huge to get the approval from the electoral court, which hasn't made it super clear on how the digital signatures will be collected and through which process. So I think Alianza is not for the municipal elections of October. This is something that will uh, only probably be finalized in the, in the next year or the other one for 2022.
0: Perfect. Thank you. The relationship between Brazil and Argentina—it's
1: a relationship that began with difficulties since the the election of the Fernandez duo. Um, it, we're going to see several difficulties throughout the, the the year and next year as well, and we have to see also the impact uh, of the disacceleration in China because of the coronavirus. How this will affect the relationship between the both? between both countries, particularly within the auto, automobile sector. Um, There is a a fear, a general fear, because the amount of parts to produce an automobile, uh, the the grand majority of these parts, uh, they come from from several places, they're rarely produced inside the country, and a, a bunch of these products, they come from China. And I even read today something that is interesting that even if you have 99% of all the pieces to build up a car, you still can't do it. So this can affect the relationship between the two countries, since this is one of the key aspects in the industrial uh, export-import in this uh, particular relationship.
0: And lastly, the relationship between President Bolsonaro and the Minister of Justice, Sergio Moura.
2: Michael, the... Interpersonal relationships of this government is always very hard to read uh, because of the just the general characteristics of the president and how he moves around Brasilia. This is a president that has a very very limited inner circle uh, in, in terms of quantity, unlike other presidents that were were you know brought up under. Uh, this political atmosphere of Brasília. Even though Bolsonaro has been in, in Brasília for almost thirty years as a congressman, he never participated in the super high levels of discussions. You know, he was always a a, a congressman that was very, um, you know, only surrounded by his niche uh, voters and and supporters. And then he grew uh, exponentially in the last years because of of everything that happened in Brazil. So he has a very limited inner circle. So it's very hard to read. You know, the the press gives some angles, but he often says that they're wrong. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly what happens. What I can say is that Moro and, and President Bolsonaro depend on each other very much. You know, uh, In the past, Bolsonaro has fired some of his ministers and they came out of the government with some very harsh words towards the president, such as General, um, General Santos Cruz, Gustavo Bebiano. But Moro is much stronger than these names. Moro is a a, a a figure itself that has almost or even more political capital than, than President Bolsonaro in terms of credibility towards society. Uh, polls show that his popularity is even higher than Bolsonaro. So they're in a situation that they kind of depend on each other because Bolsonaro depends on Sergio Moro because of his image, because of his legacy, because of, of his connection with the car wash. And Moro also depends on... Of Bolsonaro for his future, because he wants to be um, a a member of the Supreme Court. So even if the the relationship is often difficult, I think that as of now, at least in the short medium term, they will continue together because it's beneficial for both of them.
0: Thank you, Lucas. You know, I'm glad you mentioned some uh, changes to the Bolsonaro cabinet team over the first year, some uh, ministers uh, having been fired. Um, because before we go into depth on a couple of these issues um that that we mentioned in the rapid fire in this uh, pre carnival period we've seen some changes to Bolsonaro's cabinet team you know we've had some changes that were very very widely publicized uh, like the uh changes to the secretary of culture for example um and other more recent and and perhaps uh not necessarily more important, uh, but more impactful changes uh, to the economy, certainly, um, that were not as widely publicized. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, some of these changes and if you see them as an improvement to the Bolsonaro team.
1: Michael, uh, well, we're always going to have two views regarding whether it was an improvement or not. Naturally, we have a a group of, of citizens who were voters for Bolsonaro during the elections, that are completely satisfied with the government since day one, no matter what the changes are and no matter what, uh, how, how the structure of the government is. Um, and then we have a, a, a group of individuals that are being, are changing through time and evaluating with closer lenses in relation to the government that they perhaps could be satisfied in relation to that. What we can notice in the beginning of 2020 in comparison to 2019 is that Bolsonaro, he is really trying to start with the right foot, the relationship with the Congress. Uh, The the words from Speaker uh, Rodrigo Maia over the past days uh, exemplify that, how they're trying to work together and be more aligned. And we also can see uh, a considerable decrease in the controversial narratives uh, through the social medias that came from individuals from the government. And this is in a, perhaps an attempt to change the posture and to change the way that they're perceived um, through, through a, gr- a great part of the, of the population, perhaps looking not only at the popularity rate, but on trying to understand how this more uh, controlled behavior could affect the municipal elections on their behalf.
0: All right, thank you for that Thiago. Um I'd like to to move this uh, segment into a discussion of some of the red flags that the government has its eye on um, in terms of civil society and in terms of possible uh obstacles uh along the way. Um there are, there are a few that I, I can bring up here. We have uh, civil servants, uh, we have oil workers, we have the truckers movement. Um, and just to give our, our, read, our listeners a little bit of background here, um, civil servants have always been a very organized and, and represented uh, special interest here in Brasilia. And uh, the government has been pretty vocal, sometimes I think too vocal. I think Paulo Guedes uh, referring to civil servants as uh, parasites this past week uh, didn't go down particularly well, um, though he has since apologized for for those remarks. Um, But the government has been vocal about reducing the size of of the public servant sector, reforming civil service to reduce costs and increase efficiency. And uh, then, of course, we have uh, truckers that that have been on the radar since the the strike that paralyzed the country under President Michel Temer um, in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And the issue of fuel prices has been in the news recently with Bolsonaro and governors um, doing a little political back and forth on the issue of taxation of fuel um, we have oil workers currently in an ongoing strike that has been plagued with negotiation impasses um, how do you guys see these these threats to the stability of the government and how will the government deal with these different
2: groups michael I think that um, they all have different ways to bargain and different consequences to the well-being of the economies starting with the truckers they have a huge potential to stop the country as we saw in 2017 the country is very dependable on on roads Uh, the majority of our goods are transported this way Uh, every citizen in brazil suffered with the trucker strike Uh, companies from all different sectors uh, individuals that needed to take the bus until the individuals that had their own car and couldn't get uh, fuel for their for their car so it was A very democratic consequence to all of the all of the society. The government has been much more. um, They've been looking much more closer to this issue than Temer did. I remember that in the Temer uh, crisis, the leader of the truckers told that they were trying to speak with uh, President Temer and their team, the chief of staff, for over of months, three, four months, and they were difficult. Uh, to to access, but now the government has had a, more of a, a knowing how big their their bargaining power is. They have been looking at that with immense uh, attention. Even recently, the Brazilian um, uh, regulatory agency for transport ANTT uh, made regulatory changes that benefited truckers, and this was also seen as a way to pat them in the back regarding the oil oil workers, they do have power, but it's much uh, smaller than the, the one from the trucker strike. And the, the, the legal aspect of it is different as well. You know, the, the Petrobras has a very strong legal team, which has a, the capacity to, to stop these, these strikes and, and, and have power to fire them, in, if necessary, in, in, in a situation of crisis. And from what I've heard uh, of, of specialists in the energy sector, The the the, once they they strike the 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 situation would escalate much uh, slower than the trucker strike, which has almost a direct impact on the next day. Uh, While the 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 oil workers, we would feel it with uh, uh, giving more breathing space for negotiations regarding public sectors, uh, civil servants. They have an organizing power not to stop the country, but to block agendas. You know, we've seen this throughout states when privatizations have come to assemblies in order to vote, giving a lot of pressure for privatizations not to happen. We've seen it now with Paulo Guedes in a, a recent speech, uh, referring to them in, under uh, uh, some context as parasites, which they responded very strongly and, and were able to get some energy uh, against the administrative reform. So I think they all have different sorts of bargain and different sorts of consequences to the well-being of the country. Some in Congress, some in society, and some also in society, but with um, a much different uh, timing and and, and pace of consequence.
0: Thank you for that, Lucas. I think that was uh, very well put. Uh, I'd like to close uh, this week's uh, podcast with a discussion that I think is important for us to have as as, uh, it has Uh, very important uh, social and economic uh, consequences for the country, both international and uh, domestically. Uh, But, you know, Brazil, along with the entire world, has been very closely monitoring and and making preparations regarding the coronavirus outbreak in China. And, uh, you know, as a country that depends heavily on commodities like soy and iron ore that have uh, China as one of the main customers, Brazil is commercially very exposed in this situation. And I'd like to hear from you uh, on this situation, um, maybe from an international perspective as far as foreign trade or multilateral international organizations, and then from a more domestic perspective on how this situation affects uh, the government and what is being done Domestically?
1: Michael, uh, we, we are right now in the middle of the situation. We don't know. Basically, it's very hard because we're dealing with the unknown to make any prediction of how this will develop uh, in the upcoming days, weeks and months. Uh, what we know so far is that although the containment performed by China upon their own population which is something that only China can do very few countries in the world can do that type of containment in which China uh, did is something that has proven not to be enough and the the speed in which the virus uh, uh, travels expand and infect individuals particularly because the symptoms they they don't need to be apparent uh, in order for the virus to be uh, transmitted from one individual for another. This has generated concerns of how long it can take for China to be able to bring the situation under control. So the characteristics of the virus is the first point. The second point is, although the government is observing how China is tackling the, the problem, and no one doubts their capability to tackle the gov- the, the problem... There are numerous questions about the real amount of numbers of infected and deaths, and basically the, the standard capability of the government to be able to tackle the problem equally in developed and undeveloped areas of the, of the country. So this is the second point. Third, the third major question is if this problem initiates If the coronavirus initiates another big focus of problem, similar to what's happening to China in another country, how well would this other country would be able to tackle and deal with the problem? For example, Thailand. So there are certain questions that naturally needs to be answered before anyone can predict how this will affect the global economy and how long this will go. But one thing is is critical. All the countries that export to China, they have to be worried about that. And even after the solution comes, each of these countries, they have to understand that the diversification of their own products of exportation must happen in order to prevent similar situations like that in the future. So what we can see is that it might affect the Brazilian economy, it might affect the Argentinian economy, it, it might affect the economy of every country that depends on China in a way that uh, is well beyond the the volume of the rest of the countries in which these countries export to.
0: Thank you for that, uh, Thiago. Uh, we will uh, continue to monitor the situation closely. And uh, that will do it for this week's episode of Brazilian politics. I want to thank you, uh, Thiago, and thank you, Lucas. It's always a pleasure to discuss Brazilian politics with you guys. And a special thanks to our listeners. Um, Tune in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thanks, guys.